Scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 12, 1 through 19. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized them, he put them in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to the door, stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from, that Jew- <clears throat> and from all that Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Well, good morning. This uh, is a sermon on prayer, so we're going to start off with prayer. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Almighty God, seeking your necessary and needed help. Without you, we can do nothing, but with you, even a little bit, as small as a mustard seed of faith and, and your power, we can move mountains. And we need mountains moved in our eyes and our hearts and our understanding for the cares of this world drowned us out. The thoughts of this afternoon, the thoughts of our finances, the thoughts of our hopes and joy crowd you out. And yet you are the sustainer of all things in you. You are our blessedness. So by your spirit and because of Christ, cause us to see your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Pastor Omar has been taking us, the church, through this series, uh, talking about what the church is like and what's our circumstance and where do we go from here. Uh, He talked first that we exist in a period that is post-Christendom. 
We are the minority. It's not your worldview, if you hold a biblical worldview, is not the norm. He talked that we are a contrast community, as you can even see in this room, made up of people of every color and and tongue and nation, um, economic status. And then he, he talked last week that we are a community that is led by the spirit, the spirit of God that lives and dwells within us and is guiding us. And, and this week, we want to touch on that the church is also a praying community. It, it's something that's very unique about us and very central to us. Pastor Omar uh, noted in our talks, he says, in Acts, we see that prayer, it was not a last resort for the church, but a first response. It's the first thing they did. It's, it's not like, well, I guess all I can do is pray. No, they, they intentionally prayed, and we want to be like that too. We want to intentionally pray as a church and as individuals in our life. But as with any time we bring up the topic of prayer, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, it's hard. And there's always a sense of guilt and shame when it comes to prayer. There's always this understanding of, I don't do enough. I've tried before and I can't do it. And, and probably about in the cycle of a church, about every year a sermon will come on prayer. And we hear that sermon. And, and in that sermon, uh, the pastor shows us from scripture that prayer is biblical, that it's actually commanded. They take us the uh, scriptures that show us that prayer is powerful. Elijah was a man just like us who prayed and it stopped raining for three days. Prayer is powerful. And then we, the pastor hits us with a bunch of examples. Um, I don't know where these come from. I don't think they're, they're wise, t- uh, the, that there's tales. They're, they're true. I just don't know the exact source. But uh, you may have heard that there's a man who said, I have so much to do today. My day is so full. If I don't pray for two hours, I'll never get any of it done. And then there's the story of the other man who, who prayed so much at his bed that after he left, there was actually indentions two knee prints in his wood floor. And we are motivated by that. But when I'm honest with myself in my life, motivation and guilt only takes me so far. It only lasts for so long. It's like uh, the gyms fill up after New Year's for the first month of January and back to February, March, it's back to normal. And that's what it's like for me. Motivation doesn't do it. I have to know why. I have to understand the purpose of something to do it. I hate flossing. Absolutely hate it. Dread it. I won't go to bed because I know I have to floss. But yet I do it. I do it. And and it's interesting because you don't see the results of flossing right away. It's only every six months when you go to the dentist and you get that checkup and they say, no cavities that you're like, yes, it worked. I lost because I understand the big picture. I understand its purpose. And I think as I was praying about, about this, and I've been a Christian for 15 years, which is petty compared to some of you. But in the last 15 years, as I've thought about prayer and my struggle with it, I think at the heart of it, as I look at the biblical passage, is that we don't understand what the purpose is prayer is for. We don't understand what prayer is for. We see that it's biblical. We see that it's commanded. We know that it's important. I mean, in Acts, in the book that we're studying through, in Acts chapter 6, Jesus had chosen 12 disciples to lead the church. And the church, by God's glory, was growing. 
and we are called to care for the needs, the physical, earthly needs of those, and those needs were growing. And so the apostles found themselves having to distribute and, and plan and organize to such a point that it became too much. In Acts chapter 6, they said, listen, we need to choose seven men to do this work for us, deacons, because we have to give ourselves to what? Prayer and ministry of the word. Prayer was right up there with the ministry, the proclamation of the word. So we see that it's absolutely essential. Now here's here's the reality. God gave us prayer for a very specific purpose. And we are not very clear on that purpose. I think, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we don't have any clue, that we're absolutely clueless, that what I'm going to say to you today is, is something you've never heard. God forbid. No. But I'm saying it, it, it's something that needs clarification. And the result of us not being clear on what prayer is for, the consequence is, one, we don't pray very much, and two, we're not seeing the results of it. I'm not going to really give an outline for the sermon. It's more of a flow of, of thought. Um, it's more of a, a expounding this idea. I will point out kind of big, important points. And the first one that I, I just made is that we don't understand what prayer is for. The next is, well, then what is the purpose of prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? Looking at scripture, the, the, the broad from Genesis to to Revelation, looking at the broad breadth of Scripture, we see that God gave us prayer to fulfill the plan of God. God gave us prayer to fulfill the plan of God. It has a necessary purpose in it. So then, if God gave us prayer to fulfill the plan of God, the next question is what? Well, what is the plan of God? We have to be clear on that. Hear this out. This is so clear. This is so clear. The plan of God is to glorify himself. The plan of God, all this that you see created, these chairs, music, color, people, community, parents, children, streets, buildings, planes, everything is for the purpose of glorifying God. Look at the biblical evidence of this. Just right here in uh, in Ephesians. It says, and you can come back to me if you want exact uh, Verse references. He predestined us to the praise of his glorious grace. He's adopted us as sons and daughters to the praise of his glorious grace. He has given us an inheritance. Guess what? To the praise of his glorious grace. He goes on and says that I have sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Guess why? To the praise of his glorious grace. All these things bring praise to him. Check out John chapter uh, 17, also known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says to this, Father, I have glorified you on earth. I accomplished all that you gave me to do. He goes on to say, I kept all of them, all the people that you gave me. And not one of them was lost. And he says this, he says, now the whole world will know that you sent me. And you love them as you love me. God's plan is to glorify God. Revelation, all the way at the end of the Bible. Chapter 19, it's a, it's a picture, an illustration of the culmination of the historical story. 
And you see at the end this great uh, event of, of Christ conquering all of his enemies. All evil done away with. The culmination of what we hope for. And then God taking the church, his bride, and uniting it to Christ. That's what the end is going to look like. And listen to the songs that are sung in heaven. Praise our God, all his servants, small and great. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power are yours to our God. Hallelujah for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Do you see it? It's everywhere in Scripture. Isaiah 43, 7 says, You were created, my saints were created for my glory. God's glory. The plan of God is to glorify God. Now, the reality is, and I've shared this, and people have said this, And maybe in our hearts, we think it, maybe we're not comfortable with that. How vain is that? You mean not just all the good things, but all the suffering, all the brokenness, all the trials, all the human reality is for his glory? How how egotistic, how vain. But saints... Worshiping is not uncommon to us. We give glory to all sorts of things. We give glory to artists. We give glory to inventors. We give glory to musicians. We give glory to leaders. Watch the Super Bowl today. You will see worship and glorification going on. It is in us to glorify. But even these people, my boys are so sick of me talking about Tom Brady because I, I give praise to Tom Brady. It's only a scratch. Of glory. God is glorious. God is deserving. Are you okay with that? Are you okay that everything in this world exists for his glory? You know, we're going to talk about prayer today. And and maybe you've been struggling with your prayer life. But maybe you're struggling just in life. And one of the diagnostics that you really got to evaluate Have I accepted that or not? This story, this world is not about you. You are not about you. Jesus or God himself says, I will not share my glory with another. And he will not. So consider that. Have you given God the place of center in all of your existence, all your life? Moving on. If prayer is to fulfill the plan of God and God's plan is to glorify himself, the last piece that we have to ask is how does God glorify himself? How does he glorify himself? His plan is to glorify himself. How is he doing that? And here's the point. God is glorifying himself by writing a redemptive story throughout Mankind and human history. God is writing a redemptive story throughout mankind in history, in real time, right now. It is a redemptive story that will glorify Him. And when I say story, story doesn't mean fake, it doesn't mean fairy tale. There is a story behind Harbor. And that it's real, real facts, real time, real people. There's a story about the Hotel Dell, it's real. And there is a story 
about God's redemption in the world. You have heard this. This is not new for you, uh, most of you. But let me catch us up. God created the whole world. There was a real Adam, a real man who represented all of mankind. And he was put to the test. And if this man passed all of mankind, all his children, which we all descend from, would be blessed. If he fell, we all would be cursed and suffer the consequences. And he fell. And he disobeyed God. And it's known in, the, in history in the Bible as the fall. And because of that fall, there was an earthly death. There was an earthly death. Uh, we had a, a gentleman on our street a a kind man who washed his car every day, every day, a retired gentleman talked to everybody on the street. We noticed uh, some neighbors noticed his car had not moved for seven days. So unlike him, he had died in his apartment just down the street. Death happens. And all of us are just uh, gawking at this and can't get over it. We still, can you believe it? We say to one another, it's, it's not natural. It's part of the punishment It's norm for us, but it's part of the punishment. And also at the core, it changed our DNA in a sense. It changed our nature and we become sinful. And what happened in this story is it went on creation. They continued to have children and grow and fill the earth. But mankind became really bad, so bad that in Genesis chapter 6, it says the Lord saw that the wickedness on the earth and the wickedness of man was so great That every intention of his heart was evil. Saints, humanity is broken. This is the real story. Remember, it's a story. It's still happening right now. As they were broken, so are we broken. You walk out there in the world and you see, you walk out on the street and you see brokenness. About a month ago, we were walking home after church and my son stepped in where somebody had defecated on the sidewalk and we didn't know and he tracked it all throughout our van. What, what brokenness is behind that? And I'm not judging the, 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 the homeless. We pray for that. But behind that is, is real brokenness. What kind of society are we where people are sleeping on the streets, where kids are sleeping on the streets? Where these things are happening. What kind of a, a world is this? It's a broken world. Drug issues, broken families, broken politicians. And it's not just the, the low, it's the high. Look at the, the scam that happened with FTX cryptocurrency. Look at the war that's going on in Ukraine. Can you look and tell me that you're not in a story where the world is broken? There's evil in the world. There's evil in my heart. And yet, what do we see God did? He could have left it, walked away. But he kept reaching out. He read, reached out and he sent prophets to the people of old. All the prophets of the Old Testament. He, he sent them and he sent them to the people to turn. And we even prayed in First Chronicles, if my people would humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. But what did Jesus say they did to the prophets? They killed them. Because at the heart of it, when it comes down to it, we are stubborn. This hardness of our heart that has happened because of the fall of Adam creates all of us stubborn. And even when somebody lends out a hand, we bite the hand that wants to feed us and pull us up. And not just that, but there's also an enemy, Satan, an opposition at the door seeking to destroy. 
And then just real quickly, if you continue reading on the Bible and if you listen to Jesus' words himself, you realize that the, the end and the worst is not just an earthly death, saints, but what's on the other side of that door? What's the judgment on the other side of that door? I, I, I serve hot dogs outside the Navy Exchange on the base, and I've made friends with this young man that works inside, and he, he's part of a Christian sect that does not believe in hell. And, and we, we sat down with a cup of coffee on a day off and with our Bibles open. I said, let's look at the word. Let's look at Jesus. And, and what, I, what I, I showed him, not in joy, not in joy because this is awful. You see Jesus is teaching, warning us, warning, please heed my warning. He says in Matthew 25, he shows us this picture of Christ when he returns that great and awesome day. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep hear his voice. They follow and they obey the shepherd. The goats ignore. They're hardened to him. They run the other way. They don't receive the gospel. And he says this, my friend who believed that it's just death and lights out. Jesus says this. He says to the sheep, they will go on to eternal life. And I said, what is that eternal life? What is it? It's they will live forever in this joy. And I said, well, look at the goats. What does it say about them? They go on to eternal death. It's a, it's a length of time. It's a period and it's eternal and it's death and it's, and it's destruction. And Jesus goes on and Mark and he explains about this eternal. It's not just eternally done forever. But he says the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. When you and I suffer, we've had people that we know get to such a point of suffering. Sometimes you can think that it's better if lights out. But Jesus is saying it's never lights out. It never stops. And this is the story that you and I live in. This is the reality, whether you want it or not. We're not the authors, we're the characters. The story is God created. The story is man fell. The, the story is that sin has is, is broken us and put us under God's wrath. And we are stubborn and, and there's judgment. And, and the best illustration came this week from the, the Chinese balloon, right? You saw in the sky that we shot down. You have this balloon there and there's a video that's been on the news televised. And they see that the U.S. has shot a missile at the balloon. And you can hear somebody in the back saying, it's headed right for it. And it hits it. And that is what is coming to everyone that has ever been born ever and to all society. God's judgment is headed for it and it won't miss. And there's nothing we can do. We're just floating there. We can't get out of the way of our own strength. We have no self-propulsion to save us. And God could have just left us, but here's the good story. This is why we worship, why we gather, why we're here. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 talks about this. It says how this took place. For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God and right before God and acceptable. And so God sends Jesus into the world in the real story, in a chapter in our history, 2,000 years ago. And this Jesus chose 12 ordinary men. 
and many ordinary women to follow him. And he said to them, he says, come with me. And what? I will make you fishers of men. And they were with him and they followed him for years and they sat at his feet and they cooked breakfast and they walked and they ran and they played and they they prayed and they talked and Jesus taught them. And time goes on throughout Jesus' ministry and he goes to the cross because as he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live, he also died the death that you and I deserved. It is a substitution. It's a redemptive story. He purchased something. He redeemed. He saved us. And God raised him from the dead. And then he stayed for 40 days in history, teaching his disciples, clarifying for them what the Old Testament was pointing to, who he was, what their mission was. And then in Acts, the book that we're studying through, he gathers his disciples, right? And he takes them out to the mountain. And he says what to them? It's all good. He said, does he say all no harm is coming your way? Does he say, go forth and live your best, best life now? No, he says, go and be my witnesses. Be my witnesses of what you have heard and what God has done to the ends of the world. And although there will still be an earthly death, for those who put their faith in me, there is an everlasting life for them. Paul sums it up, the, 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 the story now. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Through Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And we, Paul says, and also we can say this to ourselves if you are in Christ Jesus. We are ambassadors for God to the world. God is glorifying himself. And he is doing it through a redemptive story of saving sinners and sanctifying saints. And this story is still being written. So let me ask you, is this how you see the world? Is this your understanding? Is this what you know that God is doing? And then to the point of prayer... Do the majority of your prayers align with God's plan? Do the majority of what you pray and ask God for align with what God is doing? God gave us prayer to participate in fulfilling his plan. Do our prayers make sense in line with that reality? Now, some of you are going to need convincing that this is really what prayer is for. Some of us, all of us are going to need clarification about, is this really what prayer is for? What about all the other prayers that are in the Bible for health and and for protection and for jobs and security and our kids? And that's why I want to use the, 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 move on to the second part of this, this sermon is, is, kind of breaking this part and seeing if the Bible supports what I just shared with us. Looking at the Acts chapter 12 passage. In this passage, can we see this redemptive story of God saving the world through the preaching of the word, 
in a world that is full of opposition and evil and the church using the tool of prayer to propel and fulfill that mission. The situation that we come to in Acts chapter 12 is that the church has been around for approximately 10 years now. It's suffered persecution, it's been challenging, but it's growing. And we uh, know it is implied what the church is doing when it comes to chapter 12. The church is preaching. They're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're being ambassadors for Christ. And verse 1 tells us that King Herod laid violent hands on the church. He was abusing them. He was being unjust to them. He was being unkind to them. And not just unkind, he was being evil. He killed James with a sword. He took a metal sword and killed James. Imagine if somebody took a sword and killed our pastor. This is what he was doing. And listen to what the, the response of the Jews of that time. Verse 3, it says, it pleased them, which encouraged King Herod even more. Do you see the evilness and the brokenness right here? We see the preaching, God redeeming people. We see the violence against the plan. We see the opposition to God's redemptive work. But we see, what do we see the church doing? Praying. And verse 3 goes on that they arrested Peter. Peter? James had just been killed. Peter is a leader of the church, a leader of these ambassadors. He's a primary preacher, and they chained him with two guards, one on each side, literally chained to two guards. They put two guards outside the cell, and they're on a rotation all night. And they're not going to kill him now because it's the, it, there's a feast, and it, the Jews don't want anybody killed during this feast. That would be unholy, right? So they're going to wait till after the feast. Now, th- what did the guards do to Jesus when they had him in captivity. Do you think it was easy for Peter? No, they beat him. They treated him poorly. But then we see the church. And as Pastor Omar said, it's not a last resort. Their first response is to prayer. Verse 5, it says, the church entered into earnest prayer for Peter. They pray In verse 6 through 11, it accounts that this very simultaneous, these two scenes happening in this redemptive story, that an angel of the Lord appears to Peter, and and it says he whacks him, he hits him, wakes him up, and the chains fall off. And then he says, get dressed, put on your shoes, put on your robe. But they're still in a hustle, and they they go out, and they they get out of the gate, and they're, they're going into the city, but there's a huge iron door, and the door just opens on its own. And now Peter's free into the city. And the angel disappears, though. And Peter says, I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me. And then the remainder of the story is funny, but it also shows us the reality. He goes to this lady's house where the church is is praying for him. And he knocks, and the servant girl comes, and and she hears that it's Peter's voice, and she runs in, and it's it's comedic because she didn't open up the door. But they all get excited, and they come to the door. And what does Peter say? He says, be quiet. Be quiet. Why? Why? Because he still lives in a broken, evil world. God just opened up the doors. Chains fell off. Iron doors opened. But he still lives in a broken, evil world. God did not remove the evil. He helped propel the mission. Peter's even not even going to stay there. He's going to run. He's going to get out of there so that he can keep preaching. 
And we all know that the, 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 the historical understanding of what happens to Peter. Someday God doesn't answer those prayers. And Peter is crucified upside down. So what do we see in this account? We see God's redemptive plan, right? Preaching. We see it takes place in an evil world. We see that there's opposition to it, but we see the church praying for deliverance and God from heaven intervenes. There is a God in heaven. There are angels around. There is a spiritual battle taking place and they intervene and they help the church, but he doesn't take away the opposition. So taking that story of this church 2000 years ago, let me ask you, is this church, Harbor City this day, the same as that church? Or are we totally different? Does what happened there not apply now? Besides some technical advancements and some change in characters on the, on the, the worldwide scale and leaders and some developments, it's the same. That was a church that was post-Christian, uh, Christ's resurrection. Christ had gone up into heaven. That was a church that existed after Christ had gone up to heaven. That was a church that existed before Christ had returned. Harbor City Church is a church where? After Christ's ascension. Harbor City Church is a church when? Before Christ's return. This is the age of the church. And the mission of the church. And the opposition of the church. And the circumstances of the church are all the same. Do we get that? Do we understand that? This story is very, very foreign to the American church. But saints, there are real churches in this world right now that this story is so true. This story, this evil is so true. For back then and for now, God has given the church the tool of prayer as an essential tool to participate in the fulfillment of God's plan. That is why when we are using prayer in a way that is disconnected from this greater redemptive story, we get frustrated because God's not going to answer it. This is what Jesus says. If you ask anything in my name according to my will, here's his will to glorify the Father. In this redemptive story, turning sinners into saints. Just to push in my point that this is, look at the Bible. I chose Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. I did not cherry pick these things. I did not, this is not uh, total. And we know in prayer, there's multiple parts of prayer. This is one sermon on prayer. There's uh, parts of prayer is adoration. Parts of prayer is confession. I'm talking about what we're asking God for in prayer. This is what we see. Paul says, I wish that I'm praying that I can go to Rome to preach the gospel. I'm praying that the Israelites might know Christ and be saved. He says, I'm praying that the all Christians would live in harmony. He goes on to say, he's praying that the church would not do wrong. He prays that God would spread the word of God. He prays that God would open doors for the preaching of the word. He prays that the church would uh, help him so he's not... Uh, beaten by unbelievers. He's prayed that, prays and asked God to help him give him boldness to proclaim the mystery of the word of God. Do you see the theme here? 
The theme is that the mission of God would be grow and carry on. And I know we might be thinking, what about the prayers for other things? Are you saying that the prayers for my job or pregnancy or do well on a test or health or social or racial injustice, that those don't matter? No, I'm not saying that. Look at all the other prayers in scripture. James 5, he says, pray God hears the prayers of those who are unjustly treated by their bosses. He says, if you are suffering, pray. He says, if you are sick, pray. Pray for others to be healed. Pray for wisdom. Paul even says, pray for the, the leaders and the rulers of the, the church. And the Psalms are full, to, full of prayer for deliverance and protection and strength. Here's what we must see, though. These two points. The emphasis of the church on prayer is that it is to fulfill the plan of God. That the emphasis on prayer is to fulfill the plan of God. And two, all other petitions for all other things fit into that plan. The psalmist prays to be delivered that he might proclaim the good news of God to the world. Uh, Hannah prays for Samuel, a son, so that she might, he might, the child might serve God with his whole life. Saints, are we asking wrongly? James throws out this, this bomb against us, and he says, he literally says to the Christians of that age and to us, he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, you're asking to build your kingdom to glorify yourself. It is okay to ask for a plethora of things as long as they fit into the larger story. This happens because the world creeps in. The cares of this world, we compare ourselves to those around us. Let's stop comparing ourselves to those around us and start aligning ourselves with the redemptive story of God. This really, and in closing, is a call to faith for us. It's a call to rewrite how we understand the world, rewrite what we understand our life is about, and to trust God with that. Here is the beautiful thing about your cares for house, your cares for medical, your cares for uh, uh, doing well on the test. He has a category for that in this redemptive story. It says, cast all your cares upon Jesus. Lay them down at his feet and then let it go. He tells us your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask for it. And so it's not that he doesn't care about your, 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 even the need for a vacation to get rest or for your kids to get into a certain school. If it aligns with his will, cast those cares on him and then move on. Pray for others. Pray for the word. Pray for the church. You don't have to transform your life and quit your job and sell your car and move somewhere else to fulfill this plan for your prayers to be powerful. Go home today and shut yourself in a door alone and pray, Lord, your will be done. All I have in my hands is yours. Use it for the glorification of your kingdom. I entrust myself to you. Let me just end with this. Do you get a glimpse of it? Do you get a glimpse of the truth and the larger story? Has the curtain been pulled back even just a little bit? Look to men and women who have pulled back that curtain all the way. 
Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that what he cannot use. Elizabeth Elliott going to the same people that killed her son. She had to have a wider understanding of the world around her, the sacrifice so much. Pull back the curtain. Pray to the Lord to enlighten the eyes of your heart. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word and your spirit. You've given us the examples in the scripture far and wide of your mission and your work and your glory and your grace. We ask, Lord, that this would become real to us, that this would become the story of our lives, that you have brought us into by your son, Jesus Christ, that we have this as an inheritance, the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us in this world and that you hear our prayers and the promise to be made perfect and whole and righteous in the life to come and to live with you forever. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.